And you'll notice that as uh, it says, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them again, or stood in the midst of them and said, peace be to you. And I would imagine he would need to say peace because they've never experienced anything like this before. Jesus had died and now he's standing in the midst of them when the doors were locked and closed for fear of the Jews. Everything is closed off and all of a sudden you look over and there he is. And it's like, how did that happen? Uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. In the upper room, where the disciples were at this time, the door was shut, secured, and locked to prevent any unwelcome entry. The idea is that the room was secure when suddenly Jesus came and stood in the midst. We aren't told how Jesus entered the room, but the sense is that it was not in any normal way and that he seemed to just simply appear. As believers, we know that Jesus is a gentleman and doesn't barge into our lives, but waits until we open the door. Here, Jesus was showing how a resurrected body was not subject to the restrictions as human bodies are. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching for today. Then unbelief, because when things go differently than what we desire, this is when our faith in, in God's goodness and his righteousness is really tested. But it's important that we learn to trust him in all things. And, and how we respond in faith to the difficulties in, uh, difficulties in our life um, will either make us bitter or it'll make us better, won't it? How we respond to it. If we think God is just angry, it's going to give us a very tarnished view on his character. But when we understand that even the difficult things, even the things that just grind us to powder, that those things are meant to draw us closer to him. And how we respond to that is, is, is everything. I can either get mad at God, and people do. They lose a spouse, they lose a family member, and instead of just, um, you know, certainly there's nothing wrong with grieving. We all grieve when bad things happen. But we also have to understand that God has allowed that for a reason. That person hopefully is in glory, but now you've got to get your faith, your eyes back on Jesus. Otherwise, you're just going to be a shipwreck. And God doesn't want you to be a shipwreck, but how I respond to those trials means everything. I can either get bitter about it, which many people do, or you can get better. You can trust in God and say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't even like it, but I know that you're working in me. You're you're, you're bringing me to this place of, of desperation. You're bringing me to this place of dependency upon you, and I'm either going to do that or I'm going to do something else. I'm going to have my dependency on alcohol and drugs and illicit relationships relationships or I'm going to get my face on the carpet and I'm going to seek his face. Seek his face, folks. When you're going through trials and tribulations, which is part and parcel for every believer, 
We're going to go through these things, but let's not be unbelieving, but be believing and trusting God even in that process of sanctification, which he is allowing. Why? To destroy us? No, it is for our good. He's refining you like silver in an oven. He's bringing all those impurities, all that unbelief right to the top, and then he's going to skim it off the top again, and you're probably going to have a respite for some time where you're like, oh, thank God that's over. But then you realize there's another trial that happens. And you find yourself in the furnace of affliction again and the heat rises and it brings forth all these things within you and your anger and your frustration. Then finally you say, God, forgive me. I'm angry at you again. And he's like, I know. I'm going to allow you to go through this, not because I'm trying to hurt you, but there's things that I can only accomplish and it has to be this way. Will you trust me in the process? Will you trust me, three lads, as you are in the oven and about ready to be thrown into the oven by Nebuchadnezzar? Will you trust me? Those men had already determined in their heart before Nebuchadnezzar threw them in the oven, whatever happens, we're not going to do it. We're not going to bow down to your image, O king. And if the Lord desires to uh, preserve us, great. If not, we perish. But this we will not do. They've already determined. Why? Because they had faith. And Almighty God. Old Testament. (laughs) Literally in the furnace of affliction. Right? And so God wants to encourage us. And he doesn't want to stunt our growth, but rather to encourage it. And one of the other things that unbelief does is it diminishes what God can do through our life. And it, it, it inhibits our growth. And unbelief is a lack of faith in God. Have you heard the phrase, seeing is believing? This is a phrase that I pray that we all remove from our vocabulary because it is not a godly phrase. But one of the messages of the Word of God is rather just the opposite. Not seeing is believing, but rather believing is seeing. Anybody can see and believe, but God says, no, you believe first and then you will see. But not so in our culture. We have to see everything. Prove it to me. Show me. You know, that's the Missouri motto. Did you know that, Missouri, the state of Missouri? It's the show-me state. And I'm sure it has nothing to do with faith. I don't know the origins of that phrase, but I'm using them because it it is what it is. Show me. See, that's natural man. Show me, and then I'll believe. But God says, no, you believe, and then it will be shown to you. And we bristle against that all the time, don't we? But what does the Bible tell us in Hebrews? Because believing is seeing, not seeing is believing. And the Bible tells us in, in Hebrews, by, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Do you understand that? Think about that. That's a wonderful phrase. Faith is the substance. You're hoping for it, and yet it's not tangible yet, but yet the evidence of things not yet seen. Now, that's kind of a paradox, isn't it? Because when you have evidence, usually you're talking about physical evidence. It's right before you, but it says it's the, faith, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. That means I don't see it yet, but it's as good as if I did because I believe it. And that is a mystery, folks. And I believe that is only something that God can give. And when you trust in the Lord and he gives you that faith, you don't need to see it because you know that it's going to come to pass. It may not even happen in your lifetime. Abraham believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness because God says, out of you, Abraham, out of your seed, 
will come the Messiah. And your seed will be as the sand of the seashore, the stars in the heavens, so numerable you can't count them. And Abraham believed God, and yet Abraham never saw the promise. But he believed in God. It was the evidence that he had in his heart of things not yet seen. And boy, that is a hard thing for people today because our culture, everything around us is encouraging us to see it first and then believe. And it goes right against the grain of what God tells us. He says, you need to believe and then you will see. But that doesn't mean that you have to check in your heart and your mind at the door. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Examine the evidence. There is so much evidence of the proof and the veracity of the Word of God. It is, there is so, i got books in my office that there's so many things that have been written that, are, that, that, that are, it's, it's stone-cold truth. It would hold up in any court of law, and yet there are people going, well, I don't really believe. Well, that's your fault. You need to look at it. You need to look at the evidence. It is overwhelming. The evidence is overwhelming. It is overwhelming, folks. And God wants you to be believing, not unbelieving. He loves you. In fact, um, one of the verses in John chapter 7 is very similar. Verse 17, it says, If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my authority, Jesus is speaking here. So knowing the doctrine or teaching doesn't mean that you will then be willing to do it. Rather, if you are willing to do and obey God, then you will know concerning the doctrine. Do you see how that works? It's totally backwards from what the world expects. No, show me the doctrine and then I will will to do it. But God says, no, be willing to do it and then I'll show you the doctrine. It's very similar to this idea of faith. Very similar. In John chapter 8, verse 47, He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, do not, therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. The, you know, Jesus spoke to the, I believe it was the Pharisees in this, in this situation. So, the idea is if you are of God, then you will hear God. He who is of God hears God's words. So believing is seeing, not the other way around. And before we continue in verse 19, last week we looked at verse 18, and there's a couple of things that I just want to quickly go through, but it it, it gets into this topic of faith and believing. There are two events that occurred between verses 18 and 19. And the first one is the bribing of the soldiers. The bribing of the soldiers. And it occurs for us in Matthew 28, verses 11. Um, and, uh, and also, immediately after that, Jesus met with his disciples, two disciples, on the road to Emmaus. And that's where we're going to pick up in just a moment because that's going to lead us right into what we're talking about today. But notice uh, in, in verse 18 of John 20, notice what it said. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. And then now, when we pick up in Matthew 28, this is what immediately happened after that. It says, now while they were going, these ladies, to go tell the disciples, behold, some of the guard 
came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money. Remember, these guards were there to guard the tomb of Jesus. They even put a, when they put the stone back on the tomb, they sealed that stone to the wall of the, the, of the sepulcher, of the tomb. And before they did that, naturally, they would go in and see and make sure that Jesus is still in the grave, which they did. And then they sealed the tomb. And that angel, Sunday morning, early on the first day of the week, came and rolled, it was an earthquake, and he rolled away the stone. And you remember, the Bible says that the guards were scared out of their minds. But now they go to the religious leaders, and look what happens. And this is a, an important thing, because... So when they assembled with the elders and consulted with the chief priests, they gave the, the chief priest gave them a large sum of money to these soldiers, saying, "Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while he slept. And if this things come, if this comes to the governor's ears, he will appease him. We will appease him." And so they took the money. And they did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. So the religious leaders were so compromised and so evil that they were willing to pay and bribe these guards who saw and knew the truth. But now they're being told, don't tell anybody. In fact, if anybody asks you where the body is, tell them that in the middle of the night, somebody came and his disciples came and stole the body. Well, there's a lot of problems with that. Number one... Their lives depended on them securing that tomb. For that tomb to be rolled away, for that stone to be rolled away, for Jesus to be absent was tantamount to a death sentence for them because it was their job to make sure that that didn't happen. And now they're saying, now the, the, the religious leaders are saying, tell them that they stole the body away. Well, they're thinking to themselves, well, if we do that, we're as dead men. And the religious leader says, don't worry, we'll tell Pilate and we'll appease him because it was them it was them that wanted him dead to begin with. Pilate wanted to wash his hands of this whole thing, but it was the religious leaders that said, we want this to happen. And finally, Pilate gave in to them. So they were the drivers behind this whole thing. And so when they approach Pilate now, with a missing Jesus now, they can say, no, it's okay, his disciples came, and you know, it wasn't the, the guy's fault, you know, the guard's fault. And so not only are their lives spared now, but now they've got a lot of cash to go to Disneyland. Right, So now they are feeling, okay, you guys, after all, are the drivers behind this whole thing. And if you're going to vouch for us and pay us a large sum of money, that's a pretty good day for us. But that's what they did. But notice what happened immediately after this. We Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Because Luke chapter 24 records for us what happened immediately after that. It says, Behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was when they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes, notice, were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said unto him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which have happened in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? What's so significant that's happened? 
I love that. Did Jesus know what was happening? Yes, he was the focal point of the whole thing. But what is he doing here? He's drawing out these men to see what they're thinking, to really reveal their faith. And that's really what he's doing. He's drawing them out. And so, but notice what what, what they said. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to be redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early, they astonished us. And when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see. And then Jesus finally upbraids them for their unbelief. He says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, ought not he to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then, notice, and then beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now, I bet that was an awesome Bible study because all they had was the Old Testament. The Old Testament. So what kind of scriptures would Jesus share? These are just a few that I know he shared. Genesis 3.15, that he would, be the, 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 he would be the one that would crush the head of the serpent. And Genesis 49.10, when Jacob was prophesying that the scepter would not depart from Judah, but until Shiloh comes, speaking of Jesus. Deuteronomy 18.15, this one whom God would raise up and be like a prophet unto them. This one they, would, they were supposed to listen to. Psalm 22 speaks vividly about the crucifixion as if it was happening in the third person. Certainly Isaiah 53, Jesus would tell them, hey, I, I am the suffering servant. I am what Isaiah was talking about. Yes, I was the one that they pierced when crucifixion wasn't even invented. And yet Isaiah and, and, and David, a thousand years prior, had spoken of it. And what about Daniel 9, 24 through 27? What, we, what we're celebrating today, what we're commemorating this day. And just a week prior to that, Jesus rode in on the donkey. Do you think he told them about that prophecy? You better believe he did. He said, do you guys remember like a, a, on that Sunday prior to today? You remember that last Sunday? Remember last Sunday? Here is why that's significant. Because this is what happened. And Jesus gave them through the prophets And the Old Testament, he gave them a Bible study, and certainly Zechariah 9, verse 9, Behold, your king comes lowly into Jerusalem on the colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus certainly said that. But then in verse 33 of that chapter, So they rose up that very hour, and they returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And you'll notice that as, uh, it says, As they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them again, or stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be to you. And I would imagine he would need to say peace because they've never experienced anything like this before. Jesus had died and now he's standing in the midst of them when the doors were locked and closed for fear of the Jews. Everything is closed off and all of a sudden you look over and there he is. And it's like, how did that happen? And they thought they had seen a ghost. And he says, hey, touch me. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see me have. 
Go ahead and touch me. Look at the, the prints of the nails that were in my hands. Look at my side. Look at the, 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 the markings are on my head where they planted the, the crown of thorns on and they beat me with a reed and they slapped me and punched me and spit on me and they nailed my feet to that cross to the stipes. Notice these things. And then he said to them, and, and, and while they looked upon him, it says, uh, and they still, not, they still did not believe for joy, he marveled and says, do you have anything to eat here? I could really go for a Big Mac. <laughs> so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, these are the words. And he reminded them, notice, he reminded them of the things that he had spoken to them. He says, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding. And what words? We looked at some of them already, but didn't Jesus already predict his death with the disciples? Three different times in Matthew it tells us that he did. And it's interesting that on the very heels of this uh, first confession or this first prediction in Matthew 16, it was right prior to that that Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And remember Jesus said, the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. And it was right on the heels of that that Jesus said to them in Matthew sixteen twenty one. it says, From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples, number one, that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and then be killed, and then be rised, or raised the third day. He told that to them. He said that in their presence. And it's also interesting that just after Jesus upbraided the disciples for their lack of faith concerning not being able to cast out a demon from a demon-possessed young man, that he reiterated the same thing in Matthew 17. The disciples came to Jesus privately and says, why can we not cast it out? And Jesus says, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, and a mustard seed is just a small little thing, small little seed, if you just have the faith of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for for you. However, this kind does not go out except through fasting and prayer. So evidently, there are different different, um, casts, if you will, of demons. And and while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Notice, and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Again, he tells them. That's what a good shepherd does. He prepares, doesn't he? And he prepared them, and he was telling them. And then finally, the third time, in Matthew 20, Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road, and he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. And so that's the third time that they heard this simple message. Jesus, again, preparing them. And you know what? The thing that encourages me is that here they were in front of the Son of God. These men were with Jesus physically, tangibly. 
And he was telling them these things, and they didn't quite get it. And I like that. You know why? Because it reminds me of me. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.